This is Why Always Us, a Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. I'm David Mooney. With me again this week is Sam Lee. Hi, Sam. Hello. And uh, we're also joined by Jack Pitbrook. Hi, Jack. Hi, Dave. Now, the, uh, the football season might be on hold, but The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers in the business, and they're still hard at work telling unique, engaging and informative stories. Guys, give us a bit of a flavour what you've been working on recently. Sam, what are you, uh, what are you working on? Oh, um, a Sergio Aguero thing. Basically, you know, last week we talked about his near post finishing and how it's so good. Oh, he, yeah. He gave an interview in Argentina like last night. And actually, he said the first thing he tries to do before he shoots is win a penalty, which I thought was really interesting. But then the rest, he just said, basically, he just tries to shoot uh, powerfully and high into the net. So I was going to think, I'm going to look at, yeah, it may, he makes it sound easy, but it's very difficult. Why does he do it? How does he do it? Why does nobody else do it? That kind of thing. That's what I'll be doing today and tomorrow. Lovely stuff. And Jack, have you been doing anything more productive than watching Keeping Up With The Kardashians this week? Yeah, well, I've actually moved from that to uh, Courtney and Kim Take Miami, which is quite <laughs> a similar show, but with a slightly different twist. Uh, but So basically, they set up a clothes shop in Miami called Dash, uh, and it's like the story of that business and, and them setting it up. But in between, as well as doing that, I've been writing a history of ITV Digital, and the um, like, the collapse of ITV Digital in 2002, when it went, went into administration, it put the football league clubs in a difficult position because they were banking on, you know, ITV Digital for fulfilling a contract which they weren't able to afford. So, um, and that will hopefully be published on The Athletic later this week. Lovely Tell us stuff. more about Dash. Dash, well, is I've got to save some material for next week, Sam. Yeah, fair enough. Fair play. Right. So, well, you can enjoy The Athletic for free for 90 days by going to theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod. That's theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod. To start with, Kevin De Bruyne was on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast this week after being named The Athletic's Premier League Player of the Season. Let's have a listen to what he said. So with the season in limbo, the Athletic held our own awards night for the 2019-20 season and you can head to the Athletic now to see the full list of winners and why our writers voted for them. For the main two awards, Chelsea's Bethany England was named Women's Player of the Year and the Men's Player of the Year was won by Manchester City's Kevin De Bruyne, who is with us now. Hi, Kevin. Congratulations, first of all. Hi, Kevin. Thank you. Good morning. So, Kevin, 16 assists and eight goals personally for you this season. How would you say your game has evolved over, say, the last couple of years? Well, I guess uh, I'm more of a complete player. I know people see me as um, a creative player, but there's a lot of games where I just play like central midfield and... I know I've uh, I've got the dynamism in my in my game to go up and down, but I feel like for the sake of the team, I'm doing really well in all compartments, and I feel I've grown as a player. And yeah, all the career, obviously, there's stages, but I, I feel yeah good at what I'm doing, and I feel comfortable. So if I said to you now because we love labels in football don't we so you know some people are holding midfielders or the players yeah. are 10 they do this they do that if I asked you to, to give me your position would you just simply say central midfielder yeah I don't think I play as a DM uh, I don't think I play as an attacking midfielder it's somewhere in, in between I think people would say the box to box before but I think these days with the way football is played it's, it's more about covering spaces than just the position. So it just depends what other teams are doing, to be honest. Kevin, we always talk about players that current players model themselves on, looked up to growing up. Is there anyone that you looked up to when you were a kid and also who you style your game on now? Or is it just the feel that you have for your own game, the conversations you have with your two coaches at club and international level? 
Well, when I was really young, like about seven, eight years old, I, I played like a, a strike and I always, it was always uh, Michael Owen of Liverpool. I played <laughs> in the similar style. I was really small. I only grow when I was like 15, 16 years old. Uh, but later on, uh, I just like to see football and not something personally. And in the end, I, I try to be uh, unique in what I, what I can do. I t- tr- try to take uh, little things of other players and try to implement it in, in, in my gameplay. But I, I enjoy, enjoy football in general and not like the persons, to be honest. Is there anything you work on in particular? If I, if I had to say to you, what, what's the one thing that you work on in training as an individual more than any other? What would it be and why would you do that? To be honest, the, mostly in training, we retrain tactics. I think one of the main aspects that I, that I learned uh, the last three or four years is is mentally prepare myself to be ready for every battle that I need to do. I try to never switch off, giving myself the confidence that I can make the difference or, or be the best that I can be on the pitch. And I think that that fills the hunger in me to to be the best and uh that that helped me quite a lot to be honest how have you done that then Who who's helped you on the on the mental side of it and when you say never switch off you don't mean never never switch off do you you, <laughs> must, you must switch off sometime surely we switch off but yeah during the season even like i i know people are like oh when they're home they're home but you know everything i try to do is in lifestyle to to be the best player there's obviously moments where you can switch off but obviously you look at the right timing you know even to have a night out or whatever uh i do it of course but like um when i'm in a playing mode you know you can just feel it when you're going from game to game there's no no time to rest yeah you need to prepare yourself to be ready so would you even so if if there's a game on on a say you've played on the saturday and the monday night game is on are you watching that with an eye to when you might play one of those two teams next? Well, to be quite honest, I don't watch that much right. football. I think I can quickly understand how teams play, but uh, when there's a game on and I've, I've got nothing to do, but it's not like I need to watch these games. I think we, we, we do enough tactics, see enough videos of teams yeah. to, to know what they do. No, that's really interesting because you hear many players saying that they're watching games all the time and, and it sounds like you're quite the opposite. And you, you do have your hands full because you've got a young family as well. And so that must allow you to switch off a little bit. I was selfishly quite pleased that we managed to honour you with our award before the PFA did. But in, in truth, that's a, that's a shock really because you've had such a, a successful time so far. And I was just looking back through the PFA awards at how relatively little Manchester City have been represented. You've not won the main award, neither has Sergio Aguero. You've both been in the team of the year once and twice respectively. Do you think Man City are underrepresented in in the awards? And if so, why? Is it because you're more of a, a team with less spectacular individuals or is it just not as fashionable? Is there any reason? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't think a lot of people feel underappreciated, to be honest. I, I think that there's been chances, obviously, that, that uh, some of us players could have won, won the award. But I don't know how the voters are thinking about, about football and what they are taking into account. I think two years ago, I could have won it, but I can understand why Mo Salah won it also. And maybe this year, it's maybe a chance for me to win. I, I, I don't know. I think 
I've got a nice chance to to win some awards this year, but you know, there's some other players who had great season, and you know, I, I'm not really occupied about why or why not. You know, it's part of the game, and everybody has a different view, and I think that's that's the nice thing of of football that nobody thinks the same way, and there's a lot of different playing styles and views, and that makes it good for me. And speaking of different views, when your national team boss says in an interview last week that you've revolutionised the playmaker role, how do you feel about that? Well, I think whenever people say positive things, it fills me with some proud. I think I'm I'm getting quite good at. You know, when people give you criticism or speak negative about you to push it aside. But <laughs> e- even even when you get positives, you get it in, but you don't take it in too much. You know, you still, even if people talk good, you still have to go on. But people on the pitch don't care when you play them. So you just go on with it and try to maintain the highest level as possible. It's really weird, isn't it? Human nature, how... You can have 99 people praise you or one person criticise you and you often hang on to that one piece of criticism and it's how much that fires you but also how much it doesn't bring you down. You've got to learn to to lose the criticism, haven't you? Yeah, and I think these days with social media, it's it goes up and down a lot. If you play a good game, your social media is full of praise and then you play a game where maybe you're a little bit anonymous or your team, even you can perform well, but your team loses and then... You know, you're the worst player in the world. So, you know, I think people these days are used to having the ups and downs in football where maybe before it was a little bit more easier, I guess, because you you hear what people say, but it's not as much as with the social media era, I guess. One thing I've really noticed about you and read about you and seen on documentaries and various other interviews is is your will to win and how angry you can get if, if things aren't going your way. Some of the great Premier League midfielders of the past, like Keane and Vieira, Gerrard and Scholes, they all had that drive, but also a bit of needle and aggression about them. Is that something you need to have even as a creative player in the Premier League, that other side to you? I think the will to win is what you are born with. Uh, you can get it a little bit later on, but I guess it's it's, it's more like a feeling, it's a, a fire that's inside you. From the moment I'm on the pitch, I feel like I'm a different person for 90 minutes. And then when the game is over, it can maybe last five minutes or half an hour but after that it's quickly turning back again and you can be friends with whoever but 90 minutes it's the enemy and you just want to win and do whatever it takes so Kevin 16 assists and eight goals four short of the record set by Thierry Henry who you worked with of course on the Belgium national team so is there a little bit of um, motivation there to chase that target down well, uh, to be honest, I feel like I've been on 17. I know they took one away from me from Arsenal. <laughs> I, I, There's I, that streak. I, 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 don't, I don't know why they did it. I still don't understand it. Well, I always uh, joked about it with, with Henri and the national team. Uh, even I think it was in Vinny's testimonial this year. I saw him and I had a quick start. I said, I'm, I'm coming for you this year. But <laughs> You know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, I think, you know, to have 16 assists is, is, is really nice. And, you know, it speaks really well for creative players, me. But if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. We, we still go on. And, you know, honestly, when, when you get something, it fills you with pride. Uh, because I had it in Germany and, 
it's nice to see you you broke some records it means a lot i love the fact that on the one hand you're quite laid back about it but on the other hand you know that you should really have seven you should really have fiercely <laughs> competitive it's quite a good balance there kevin yeah you know i think everybody know gets the statistics you know well when you're playing it doesn't doesn't really matter but you know in the end of the year it's the way how people look also a little bit i think I'm luckily to be in a position where in the midfield you can do other stuff and still be good. But when you're a striker, obviously, when you don't score goals, uh, you you get measured by it. Just one tiny thing, Kevin, and listening you to you speak there with such sort of authority, leadership in a way, it made me think this was the first season that Manchester City had been without Vincent Kompany uh, after he departed. Did you feel you needed to change? Did you need to take on more responsibility on and off the pitch at Manchester City? I think I did a little bit. It's not necessarily always on the pitch. I think on the pitch, everybody has his characteristics and responsibility you can't have one two players who do it i'm never going to be somebody like Vinny. i think he's grown up to be that way since he came as a young player but i think i've took on more responsibility and you know try to speak in 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 a way for the team that is good and positive even with everything that's going on and uh, the people trust me so uh, I think I've, I've done quite well Kevin you've given us a lot of time this morning thank you very much for, for that and also thank you for the insight into your craft as well it's much appreciated no problem it's a pleasure thank you thank you very much bye bye a richly deserved Premier League player of the season from the Athletic for Kevin De Bruyne there um, I think it's fascinating listening to him that, uh, that I mean just to get an insight into his mentality Sam that he just doesn't seem to care about whether he wins awards or not but yet he knows about that assist at Arsenal um, yeah I suppose I suppose there's a bit of an element of like he's, he's a world class player and I've always been fascinated by this people who are you know world class in their field and like you know proper fields not just like carrying milk bottles on their head or something. You know, if they're like the best chess player or the best footballer or the best basketball player, obviously Michael Jordan's a relevant example at the moment. I always wonder how it is that they can carry on, you know, with like a balanced mindset, you know, keep everything in check. And part of that is being humble, of course. So I suppose an element of that is, well, it doesn't matter if you win awards because basically what, it sounds like a cliche, but it's genuinely true. What's most important is winning trophies with your team. But at the same time, I suppose personal pride you want to get you want to get the credit where it's due. Maybe not anything more than that. You might be content with that, but you want to get the credit where it's due. If you think you've pulled off a good assist, you want to get credit for that. You know, I, I don't mind about winning awards, journalistically, which is probably easy to say because I'm never going to win one. But if somebody said, oh, I really enjoyed that Cheeky Bagheera sign article by Jack Pitbrook, I'd be like, hold on a minute, that was me. Like, Just, <laughs> just give, give me credit for what I have done, but anything else is fine. I imagine it's that kind of thing. But obviously he's a very, he's a very competitive guy, but at the same time, he's just, Kind of, yeah, very normal and laid back. What do you think it says about his mentality, Jack? I think it shows how... The, the impression I got from listening to that interview was that Kevin De Bruyne is... He's really, really not interested in, like, the external... Uh, as in, like, the media world's bestowal of popularity and credit. And, you know, he doesn't mind whether he gets praise or criticism... He doesn't mind about awards. He does mind about about statistics because, you know, those, those assist statistics are things that exist internal to the game. They're not extraneous. They're not like what somebody said on Monday Night Football. They are the reality of, you know, that is the kind of, phys, 
the reality of what he does day to day in his job. Um, but yeah, it it was it seemed like a very sort of cool mentality. I don't mean cool as in stylish. I mean cool as in like he doesn't get up and down. He's obviously very intense when he's on the pitch, but all the kind of noise and hype and everything that goes on outside football, he seems to be very good at switching off from. He seems very good at kind of playing down his achievements, but not kind of like, but not doing down his achievements. So not kind, of, not kind of like saying that his achievements are not worth anything, but just kind of letting other people do the talking. Does that make sense? Yeah, and again, I think that's part of what I was saying earlier. You know, these people they know they're excellent, um, and you can't get away from that. I don't think if, if you did yourself down too much, um, it probably, it's probably not actually helpful for a professional sportsman. I think you need to believe in yourself, but not get too carried away. Um, thinking you know you are everything and obviously I don't think it's it's helpful to to do yourself down too much I think you got to be realistic and when you are brilliant at something you can't go around saying you're not very good at it because it might sound fake or whatever I think that's something Guardiola might struggle with as well because he does that a lot and people think he's fake humble which is actually a, a, a phrase he used himself in a press conference I think he said I don't want to come across as fake humble but I think he's aware that he does because especially with him you know he's you know, a genius, and he's lauded so much by people like me calling him a genius. He's probably uncomfortable with that. But at the end of the day, you realise that what you do do is is extraordinary, and I think De Bruyne is the same as that. So he's realistic, I would say. That's probably the best word to describe him away from the pit, I think. He knows how good he is, but, you know, he doesn't need everyone telling him. Yeah. Uh, Jack, you talked about briefly there is uh, what he's like on the pitch as well. I mean, everyone remembers that that moment of, of let me talk. I can't even tell you what game it was in, but I know he was wound up by something. Um, and his, his teammates had to, had to drag him away for, uh, to the dressing room at half time. Um, he's a lot, I think he's a lot more kind of like that on the pitch than people seem to realise. Yeah, particularly when things are going against him or things aren't going his way. You can tell that he gets really, really like he gets frustrated and yeah. he gets very. Like, we talked about this last week, I think. He gets so like desperate to seize control of things and desperate to turn things around, and he won't he won't rest until he's got the result that he wants. So yeah, he has got a really sort of fiery, intense side, um, which is interesting because it's so at odds with his like cool, deadpan character away from the game. Sam, what's he like when? I mean, you must have uh, spoken to him in the mix zone a few times. What's what's he like when he's when he's kind of had a few minutes after the game? Brilliant. Um, he's exactly like that, actually. Although sometimes he, not not difficult, um, but he'll he'll tell you politely if if you've asked a question and it's not necessarily what he thinks. I suppose a good example from that interview there with Chappers. He didn't do it with 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 Chappers and Orney. But he's, you know, when he was talking about his position, and he basically ended it by saying it's more about how the opposition move than you know him needing to play defensive midfield or attacking midfield or centre midfield or whatever, because that's how he understands the game. But obviously, very few other people do, and certainly very few other journalists do. So I remember after that game at Arsenal, we had quite a long chat and a good chat, and you know that that week, if you remember, it was I think it was the week after City had lost home to United. The four three three was looking a bit stale and all of that. They changed. He was more of a number ten. Phil Foden was on the left. It looked wildly different to the rest of us. I think there was two holding midfielders. So we said, you know, what was different? And he, he didn't just disagree for the sake of it. But he was like, you know, nothing, nothing was really different. And then he he explained all the differences in movements. He was like, so if if Phil comes in, then Mendy has to go out, and if Gundogan goes up, then he has I go back, and all this kind of stuff, which still to us sounded very different. But the way he made it seem was just the way that it is in his head, the way he sees it. So he's not afraid 
to to do that sometimes i suppose the other example was from last season before it was probably i think it was at wembley so maybe the brighton fa cup semi-final um, and they played Spurs at the new stadium a few days later. And obviously people were getting preview material for that. And they were like, oh, what do you think about this new stadium? You know, is it daunting or whatever? And he was like, I don't care. You know, everyone's got a stadium. It's got, he it, it basically said, it wasn't word for word, but he basically said, it's got four stands. It's got people on it. It's, it's got grass. <laughs> it it doesn't make any difference. So yeah, I really enjoy speaking to him because he's an incredibly straight talker. Um, and yeah, he, he, he doesn't mind kind of, yeah, if if you ask a question he doesn't necessarily agree with, he doesn't mind putting you straight, but in a politer way than somebody, I would say, company kind of relished pointing out that he disagreed with you. And Guardiola did it sometimes, as I've kind of alluded to in an article today. But De Bruyne is generally more more polite, but very straight talking. Yeah, Jack is. Um, I mean, David Silva's currently the captain for this season. He's leaving at the end of the season, whenever that that actually happens to be. Um, do you think De Bruyne might be the best replacement in the squad? Yeah, I think De Bruyne is very, very obviously the the replacement. It seems like he fulfills all the kind of the leadership functions on and off the pitch. Um, I think he alluded to it there by saying that he's you know in recent. Given what's been happening recently, he's taken on more of the, you know, more of that role. I think he's been representing City in those conversations with, um, you know, with Jordan Henderson and the other Premier League captains about wage cuts. I think Sam will be able to clarify on that, but I believe yeah, that yeah. is, yeah. Um, so you can tell that he is just like he ticks all the boxes. Like he's multilingual. He's a good age. He's experienced. He's loud. He's guaranteed of his place. He, le- you know, he he is. He's there is no other competitor to him in that sense so uh, I'm sure he will end up being permanent captain sooner rather than later yeah it's almost like that Real Madrid performance is the one that that kind of showcased it the, the last game uh, before the the, uh, the 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 great pause as it's become um Sammy was he, he just kind of took the team to another level on that night yeah I suppose that's the beauty of him in terms of style you know that obviously they asked about what the kind of players he bases himself on and again, he was like, well, when he was a kid, it was Michael Owen. But <laughs> since then, almost kind of, since he's developed his own identity, you know, he he won't even, he won't even kind of box himself in as being similar to anybody else. And like he said, you know, he, he feels like he's unique and he wants to try different things. Um, I've always kind of thought, and I'm not sure why I've gone back to Arsenal players, but I think I've said this before, but He's, he's almost like a, a mixture of Vieira and Burkamp in kind of the range and the way he gets around midfield and can win the ball back in the energy and the way he can carry a team forward. But also he's got that kind of, you know, that Burkamp brain, you know, the, the way of seeing the game and the eye for a pass and that kind of thing. It's not a perfect example, but it, it just, it seems to fit. And yeah, that all, that came together on that night because you've got, you know, the energy and the determination because obviously City played a very particular game that night. And you, you needed to work very hard at Real Madrid to get what they needed, but also you needed to be very intelligent, which is why they had Gabriel Jesus in that very specific role. And yeah, that, I think, suited De Bruyne in particular because you basically needed both attributes to his game, you know, roughly, you know, the physical element and the mental element, the tactical understanding. I've always thought that um, when I've been trying to wonder, who who does De Bruyne remind me of? Because he is, such, I mean, as we talked about before, he's such a unique player. I think he's like, in he's like, he's, Basically, it's like you've got. Imagine you had Steven Gerrard, but then you made Steven Gerrard more intelligent, more two-footed, more precise, more imaginative, more you know, more tactically flexible. Like, but and yet he retains the kind of like, 
you know, robust fundamentals of Gerard in terms of like power and energy and shooting and passing and skill and touch and, and everything. So, you know what I mean? It's like a kind of Gerard 2.0, like a kind of Gerard that's been like built in a lab or Gerard that's been like, <laughs> oh, Gerard that's been genetically modified. Uh, uh, so that, God, and that is amazing. fans will listen to this. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and up and coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send the rest back for your stylist's time you pay a charge of just 10 pounds which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy remember you try before you buy at home delivery and returns are free both ways and you don't need a subscription to sign up stitch fix allows you to save time because we do the shopping for you and you'll enjoy top styling tips from our experts get started with stitch fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now that's s-t-i-t-c-h-f-i-x.co.uk forward slash athletic now De Bruyne is definitely not someone who splits the City fans opinion but one player who who did uh, was Mario Balotelli there was an in-depth piece on him on the athletic uh, one of the most interesting things about it was that he, he was viewed quite affectionately by everybody at City and just less so at Liverpool um, so I mean first off as a reaction um, Jack you, you you were kind of hyper into City and, and, and following City when Balotelli was a was a thing um, how do you reflect on his time there? Well, uh, kind of two. I have two different emotions at the same time. One is that he was really, really exciting and cool, and lots of City fans really took to him, both as on and off the pitch, uh, because he was talented and fun, and he had a personality. And frankly, you know, a lot of players these days don't have a personality, uh, and he did some good things. You know, he. Uh, you know, he played in some big games. He set up the Aguero goal. He was good. You know, he's important towards the 2011 FA Cup win. So that's like emotion one. Emotion two is that he didn't achieve anywhere nearly what he should have done. Like he, he is, he's so gifted. And yet, if you look at his career since he left City, he's kind of not really done anything. Like if you look back to, look back to summer 2012, set up the Aguero goal, brilliant at Euro 2012, destroyed Germany in that semi-final. And yet, you know, that was eight years ago. And what's he done now? He's like, you know, spells all over France and Italy and back at Liverpool and now at Brescia. And he had he had everything. He had absolutely everything that you would want a young striker to have. And he's not really put it to any use. So th- that's basically how I feel. Sam, what was the what was the kind of opinion of him from kind of looking outside in? It's the same thing, basically. It's probably the same thing the City fans felt at the time, only without the affection, I imagine. Um, you just never knew what you were going to get, of course. Um, I never remember, for example, you know, if he lined up against United or you know for a City team in a big title game when it was United going for the title as well. I don't remember thinking, oh, you know, he's going to cost them this because I think it was that that kind of element of we could. It could be the difference maker, you know. He he could do it, and then you know we don't we don't know what we do now. And I think there's always more of a a tendency at the time to maybe this isn't true, but I, I feel like there's more of a a tendency towards optimism. Um, and I think, or even pessimism. If you're a United fan, you're probably thinking he's gonna he's gonna pick today to to score a hat trick, kind of that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it was just always that 
that sense that you didn't know what you were going to get. He had a lot of talent, but you know, would he apply it? But then, he, the, but the thing around that time as well was it was more the sideshow, wasn't it? It was more the controversy. It was more the stories, and you know, Twitter was wasn't what it is now, but it was still starting out. And I remember those erroneous stories about you know him going down Deansgate and handing out um, fifty pound notes or whatever it would be to homeless people or all these kind of things. That that was almost as big as. The on the pitch stuff, and then obviously there'd be a bit more of a circus. I'm sure you remember it well. That Arsenal game towards the end of the 2012 season, where we got sent off, and it seemed like that was that was the end of it. That was kind of that. They were the times when you'd think, yeah, okay, this this kid's not going to do anything. But then, of course, you know, he could he could turn it around. So you never really knew where you stood with him. I was in a really weird position with him because I I always used to. I, like I've said on previous shows, at that time I was doing a radio show every Sunday evening and I always used to get flack for defending him because I always thought he had something in his locker to be able to to, to do something in it, it, when City really needed it. But then equally at the same time, despite believing that, I was also ready to, like when he got sent off in that Arsenal game, I was ready to hang him out to dry because I thought that was City's, like that, that season was City's yeah. title to lose and like he pretty much helped them lose it in that game. And I mean, yeah, Jack. It, like, did the off the pitch stuff ever distract too much from the on the pitch stuff, or was it certainly in his time at City? Was it just kind of like a, a nice little uh, a thing for the fans to kind of get behind and and, and enjoy? It's a good question because it's you know I, I think my position on this always used to be that I would I would say oh you can separate the two you know don't ju- judge him on what he does on the pitch, but ultimately what he did on the pitch was couldn't not be influenced by what he did off yeah. the pitch. Like if he wasn't trying in training, he wasn't going to play very well. He wasn't he wasn't trying in training, he wasn't going to get picked because Mancini wouldn't pick someone he didn't try. So, I think, you know, you you cannot separate the two. Uh I I loved all, I I liked the on the pitch stuff and the off the pitch stuff, frankly. I thought the off the pitch stuff was funny and harmless. And on the pitch, he did stupid things, but I didn't really care because he scored goals and was just like generally a bit chaotic in an exciting way. But you do make a really good point about that Arsenal red card. Look, like, you know, we shouldn't remember how, you know, sorry, we shouldn't forget how lucky he was. Like, imagine if, you know, if United hadn't drawn four with Everton and lost to Wigan Athletic, then they would have won the title that year and everyone would have been, ah, oh, Balotelli helped to throw the title away with that stupid red card at Arsenal. So, uh, you know, event, it's hard to it's hard to predict how these events are going to are gonna influence what actually happens in the real world. But, um, yeah, like, you'd, you would have to say there were more bad moments than good ones. It's. I mean, the the things that that there's so many stuff, but but kind of like what 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 stands out for you? Because for me, it's always the the, the fire safety campaign after setting fire to his bathroom before the Manchester derby. That that's just that for me is the ultimate Balotelli moment. And even we got the title of this podcast from from him and that uh, and that Manchester derby. Is there anything, um, Jack, that just stands out to you as the typical Balotelli kind of drama? Uh, God, that's where to start. The, the, that West Brom game in his first season, early on, where I think he got two, scored twice and got sent off. I was looking up that early, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember that. That was amazing." Um, just very, just, in, just just the incredible inconsistency, really. Like the kind of runs of goals, the brilliant goals that he scored. Some of the goals he scored were fantastic. Um, just in terms of like his natural finishing, his performance in the six-one. Lots of stupid red cards. Do you remember that red card against Dinamo Kiev when City, City got knocked out of the Europa League in 2011? Is that um, when he kind of did he kind of deong somebody in the chest? Yeah, exactly, exactly that. Which was kind of a precursor to his um, his red card against Arsenal. But then Chelsea, I think there was a brilliant Chelsea scored the 
when City lost at Stamford Bridge. Uh, some of the some of the finishes were excellent. This famous Sunderland game in 2012, when City pulled it back to three all to stay in the mix just before Arsenal. So yeah, he scored, he scored a great goal. Yeah, he scored a great goal in that FA Cup run um, in uh, when when they won the cup in 2011 against Aston Villa. That it just it, I think I think Yaya Torre played it over the top to him, and he just kind of side footed volleyed it as it came yes, over his shoulder yeah, into I'd the top corner. That. That was, it was amazing. A fantastic finish, made even better by one of his amazing haircuts that day. <laughs> yeah, he was. He had. Uh, he had like a, a maze shaved into his head that he dyed blonde. He, honestly, incredible. You can't like. It sounds like I'm making this up. Yeah, it kind of sounds like a bygone era, doesn't it? But I was. I was going to say actually, because the interesting thing from the article was that, well, at least the people that, that our journalists found to speak to, nobody had a a bad word to say about him, which is. Which is incredible, really, when you've got a dressing room at that level, and obviously a dressing room that was pushing for trophies and did win trophies. He's so professional. And we go back to De Bruyne talking about never switching off and his performance lifestyle style and all this kind of thing. And you've basically got somebody, I can't remember who it was now, was it Milner, who said he was basically like a 12-year-old? But he was I don't mean any disrespect by that. He was just... It's just what he was like. He just like hadn't fully matured. And you, you would think that that would cause, obviously it did cause so many problems in the dressing room with the fights he kind of had, you know, with Mika Richards and, and Mancini himself. I mean, most famous. The, the, those, those dressing, those photos from the training ground. Yeah, which <laughs> is incredible. Like seen from Faulty Towers. Yeah, and again, Jack goes back to, you know, if, if United hadn't dropped those games, you know, the, what would have become of, you know, that, that kind of Mancini era, you know, that would have been probably one of the defining images of it. Um, but no, still nobody had a bad word to say about him. So that's the weirdest thing because it's not like some awful bloke came into the dressing room who everyone hated and they got rid of. It, they, there was still a lovable side to him and it must be fascinating to be around because, yeah, he must drive you mad. But even for you know a really professional environment and, you know, um, Simon Hughes did a really good job of, of explaining what was going on at Liverpool at that point. And even in that kind of situation where Liverpool who'd previously gone close to winning the title the year before, but then kind of fell apart. Even they didn't really hold anything against him. It, he's a fascinating character. And yeah, it, it goes back to, would would that be allowed now? And I'm thinking, yeah, would fans tolerate it now, given how like, ultra-professional um, City are at the moment under Guardiola? But I'm kind of thinking there are parallels with, with Benjamin Mendy, really, in terms of the, the kind of mad stuff he gets up to. But I'd probably have to say Mendy isn't as bad as Bella to tell you, but he, he's certainly been giving him a run for his money in, in some instances. I was going to say you've got me thinking with that because uh, it always feels like Guardiola is is um, I, I can't I can't think what the right way to, to say it would be like frustrated with uh, with Mendy. Um, what would he make a Balotelli? <laughs> I, I I think he'd have been gone straight away. Like then, I don't think he'd have been signed at all. He wouldn't have been signed at all now. Now that Cheeky's in charge, and obviously there was really good signings beforehand, and Balotelli, you can see why City signed him absolutely, but like. I think character-wise and knowing what Guardiola wants, he wouldn't have been signed at all. And if he would have already been there, um, even even if he was performing really well, he'd have got rid of him. You know, it kind of shades of Ronaldinho and Deco and that kind of thing. It just, yeah. it just, it just wouldn't have worked. Now, uh, Jack, some things that definitely were true about uh, about Balotelli's time at City, because this, uh, I can't remember if it was you or Sam that said it a, a bit earlier on, but it, it was at the time where you could just you could just make something up on Twitter and it would go viral because it was mentioning Mario Balotelli doing something daft. Um, but he definitely set fire to his bathroom and then was the face of the fire safety campaign. 
there was the back heel in the preseason uh, friendly that made Mancini sub him off uh, almost instantly. He did go to John Lewis to buy an ironing board and came back with a quad bike. Uh, he got a magician to go around his house to teach him some tricks. He threw darts at a youth team player. Uh, he was allergic to the grass in, in Kiev. Uh, and then he had that, that car that was vacuum um, covered in, in just camo- that camouflaged finish. Um, th- there's just so much that, that about him that just doesn't make any sense, does it? Yeah, it's it's really interesting, isn't it, looking back at at all of this, because nowadays you can't imagine a City player having this kind of off-the-pitch profile. I think that City, um, one of the big differences in City in the last sort of 10 years has been the way that, I think 10 years ago, it felt as if the club, the club needed to sign big names and like characters who you know, were easily recognisable and did interesting things, and whether it's Tevez, Adebayor, um, Balotelli, Bellamy, Rubinho, you know, these were kind of exciting, famous players and characters. They were real characters. Whereas now I kind of get the impression that City have moved in the other direction and don't have any characters at all. Like They don't have any... And I know, like, Kyle Walker's got himself into trouble recently in the papers. But generally speaking, City players have got no off-the-pitch profile. Like, we were talking the other day how Sergio Aguero, you know, arguably City's best player of all time, or certainly in the top five, has um, has very little off, off-field profile. It just, it's, just, it's, it's just very odd. And like, you, you, it makes total sense why lots of City fans would be kind of nostalgic for the days when... City had all these like exciting extrovert players who didn't follow the rules and did slightly misguided things like Adebayor celebrating in front of the Arsenal fans or Tevez refusing to warm up and then going to Argentina for six months to play golf. <laughs> like it's just a, it was a different time, um, but in in because of that, it's quite an exciting time. Yeah, football is just much more professional now. And it's kind of that thing of, was it Ferguson who always wanted his young players to be married and have kids really early so they kind of settled down a bit more? And obviously, you can get that. But, you know, sometimes, you know, footballers are footballers and they're young men with loads of money. They they, they might, you know, go off the rails in, in a footballing sense. But the other thing is, well, seeing as I mentioned Mendy, and I know some fans have kind of lost patience with him, but that's mainly because he's not really been performing. You know, if he was if he'd never got injured and he'd performed like he did in those first few games of his first two seasons... Nobody would matter quite so much because if you perform, then then that's that's the difference now these days. But you're right. Generally, there's so, so much of a so much of a big swing towards professionalism. And basically, the biggest difference between City now and City then is if you can find City's Twitter timeline from around 2009 <laughs> compared to now, it's. I, I mean, I don't know. It's like you know, you see those parody accounts for people selling like salmon paste or you know meat pies or something it's, it's like it's like that you know it was a proper every man oh hello what's all this twitter about kind of thing it's yeah it's incredible and they've not deleted any of them as far as i can tell yeah uh jack i want i, I was gonna i was gonna suggest that uh, it didn't work for baratelli at city with the with the way it ended um but actually you know thinking about it because because of the faith that mancini put into him and, and because of the environment that mancini gave baratelli was is there an argument to say that the reason it worked at, for him at city but nowhere else was because just everything was right for him there and that was that was maybe his, like his peak what city got out of him was the best that anybody could have got out of him I think it was his peak. That seems strange now, looking back. But I don't think, you know, if you back then he was playing. He he won the you know, he won the Premier League title, uh, and let me just check on Wikipedia. I don't think he's won any other titles 
since then. Um, he was in the Italy team. You know, as just said, he had a fantastic Euro 2012 Scored that, that performance in the semi-final against Germany is like one of the greatest performances in international football in our lifetimes. Um, so he, I think it's totally fair enough to say this was him at his peak. So he won. He hasn't won any other club trophies since leaving City. He's won nothing at Milan, Liverpool, Nice, Marseille or Brescia. Um, he was in the Italy team. He was playing in the Champions League. I think it was his peak. It certainly was his peak. And frankly, everything that's happened since shows that City, you know, City maybe shouldn't, should not have been more patient with him. Maybe they, they were right to, you know, try with him for as long as they did before eventually giving up, I'm afraid. Sam, when you look from the outside as well, do you feel like he's he was a wasted talent or do you feel like he's he's kind of, he's just one of those that was a character and, you know, has achieved what he could achieve? Um, a bit of both, really. Definitely. Definitely a, um, a wasted talent, but that's that's just football, isn't it? If everybody fulfilled their talent, if everybody was a hundred percent professional over time, you know, there'd be there'd be you know there'd be a hundred De Bruyne's, there'd be twenty Messi's, there'd be twenty five Ronaldo's. You know, part of football is is the the mental aspect. So it's probably not realistic to expect him or any other player who doesn't quite fulfil their potential to. To have that, it, it especially applies to to young young players as well. You know, there's a difference. While well, we've mentioned this before, but why Foden and Eric Garcia are around the first team much more often because they're incredibly professional. And if you're below that line, you're not going to make it at City. And I think that's probably uh, kind of a good catch-all for for footballers in general. So yeah, definitely a wasted talent. But I think it probably would have been unreasonable to expect him to you know to to reach the heights and to be a top class number 9 for 10 15 years just because of how he is and obviously there's been a lot written about how he is and his upbringing and that kind of stuff and it it's always it's always difficult when football journalists have to stray into kind of child psychology territory but it seems like you know he was he was dealt a bad hand and he's he's, he's probably done as well as he could do with that but in terms of the talent he has got he's not done as well as you know he's not been a Lewandowski because you know, this, the other little off-field pieces weren't in place. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, of managers as well, as well, Jack, it always felt like Mancini was the right one to get anything out of him. I think so. I think so. I, I mean, it, it would never. He would never have come to City. I think without Mancini, uh, it would be interesting to think how he would have done if you know if he'd stayed with Pellegrini because he left what halfway through Mancini's last season. Yeah, maybe maybe Pellegrini would have liked him, but then you know Pellegrini had. Aguero, Jacko, Negredo to choose from, uh, and I think it was, I can't remember whether Tevez Jovetic, was still around. Yeah, Jovetic, Jovetic was Jovetic, there. Yeah, Tevez had gone, uh, so maybe you wouldn't have liked Balotelli. I think Pellegrini's. I think Pellegrini's a kind of. I think Pellegrini works less harder than players than Mancini did. Like Mancini was willing to work hard on Balotelli because he wanted to get more out of him, whereas Pellegrini's approach was more like, "Come on, lads, you're good players; you can figure it out for yourselves." When you saw that he was in a City team for a Manchester derby, uh, were, you, were you ever worried by his presence there? No, like, like I kind of mentioned earlier, I didn't. I don't really remember, to be honest. Um, like, like I say, you're probably thinking, or you know, pessimistically as a, as an opposition fan, you're probably thinking this is the day he's gonna he's going to pull it together and get a hat-trick kind of thing. Oh, I only ever remember once looking at a City team and going, I'm not sure about that. And I think it might have been when Van Persie scored the free kick in the last minute because I think David Silva was playing on the left. And I just thought, I think he, he's obviously he's not going to get back. And if he can get down that right-hand side, um, United might have a bit of joy. And I think Rooney might have scored at least one goal from across from that side. So that was the only time I kind of remember going, 
I'm not really sure about that team. And I think I only remember it because because it happened to be true. So maybe I did it more often and I was just completely wrong. But yeah, as far as Balotelli goes, no, I, I remember him more, you know, those that performance against Spurs where I think he got banned by the FA. Did he get sent off or did he get banned by the FA for it was, it was standing on Scott Parker? Yeah, yeah. But, he was, but he was fantastic. And, and that's the kind of thing. And that's that that was the thing about City as well. They were they were never out of it that in, in those, well, in that season in particular. Um, and Balotelli was part of that. You know, some weeks you'd think, okay, they've gone now like the Arsenal game I've mentioned. But he just never knew. He just never knew there was always something. And, you know, Balotelli, it's that thing. I don't think we've mentioned it, but it's it's obligatory to mention it. it. It might even be apocryphal, but did he only get one assist in his whole time at City and it was for the Aguero moment? And I think no, it was that's in true. That, it is true, okay. Yep. So, and it was in the article as well, I think. It was Gary Cook who said, any other time, he'd have maybe tried an overhead kick in that, you know, to try to flick it up or something like that or try to score himself. But whatever it was and whatever, you know, Balotelli's limitations as a footballer or as a man or whatever something clicked in that moment and he knew he had to do the right thing and he just made the exact right pass so yeah that that that's kind of sums it up I suppose that even though he could be wildly unpredictable he, he could still do you in Jack same question but the other way around were you, were you ever confident when he was in a City team for a crucial game well I remember thinking um God, I, gotta, I gotta get this right was it the the FA Cup semi-final and final he he played one of them in 2011. He played one of them on the. Did he play up front for the? He played up front in the semi-final against. He United. did because uh, Tevez was uh, injured at Liverpool the week before. In the final, he played on the left, I think, and Tevez played up front. Uh, off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, let me double check that now on soccer base. And he was amazing in those games. Like he did. I know, like you know, it's easy to. It's easy to play well in a really big game if you're a good player because it's you know it's much harder in the smaller games. But he was really really good in those games. And I remember beforehand there was like a big debate of oh can you trust Balotelli in these big matches? And he really pulled it out of the bag on those occasions. So uh, in that sense, yeah, he did fantastically well on both those days. So yeah, so he was up front but on his own in the one nil against United in the semi, and then in the cup final, Tevez was back so he was out on the left and they. Um, so, so yeah, I, clearly he he had the he had the mentality for the big games. Like he's shown that in his career. I think the problem that he's had in his career is you know can you do it week after week after week every week even in games which you know are not as exciting. That's obviously what Aguero's done, uh, proven to be absolutely lethal in in every single game that he goes into. There's no he's so consistent and so relentless. Whereas Balotelli is just like no, I can't be bothered, not doing it. And that's really what's yeah. that's really what's hurt his career. Well, that's it for this week's Wire Weasels. Uh, you've been listening to Sam Lee. Thanks very much. And Jack Pitbrook. Thanks a lot. And to me, David Mooney. If you'd like to get ad-free podcasts, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a 90-day free trial now by using the code MANCITYPOD. Pod. <laughs>